Hello, and welcome to this episode of Angular Air. We're going to be talking about uh, developing open source Angular libraries today. And um, I'm joined by two special guests, Jason Debris. Say hello, Jason. Hi. And Olivier Kuhn. Say hi, Olivier. Hi. Hey, guys. So um, Jason, and, oh, and I'm Kent C. Dodds, uh, as always. Um, and so Jason and Olivier have developed some pretty awesome open source libraries. And uh, I also have a library that I'm uh, taking care of at the moment. And so we wanted to take this opportunity to share some of the learnings that we've had as uh, we've been developing these open source libraries. Um, but before we get started, just a, a couple announcements. Uh, we're, the next show is going to be next week. We're doing weekly shows again um, with uh, Pascal. Uh, Freaked? I'm so sorry, Pascal. I don't actually know how to say your last name. Olivia can totally uh, relate to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, we're going to be talking about I18N with Angular. Uh, some pretty exciting um, developments uh, since ng-conf and, and with the new version of Angular. And then also uh, Pascal's got uh, Angular Translate. That's way cool. So um, also, we are totally barren as far as questions for this episode goes. So um, go to uh, ng-air.github.io and uh, go to our episode, ask any questions uh, as the episode is progressing, and um, we'll answer anything that, uh, any questions that you have um, by the time, or by the end of this episode uh, when we go through those. And uh, as always, again, follow us on Twitter and Google Plus to stay up to date with the latest and greatest. Um, so. Let's go ahead and jump into into things. So we're going to start out and just give a, a brief intro of each of our libraries, what they do, just give you some context. Um, and each of us has a couple of libraries, uh, and we'll, we'll just talk about one, maybe two of them. Um, so let's go ahead and get started with Jason. Can you give us an intro on uh, the library uh, that you've built? Um, so probably one of my first open source projects I ever built was called, it's called Angular Cache. It's a replacement for the Angular's Cache Factory, which uh, is one of the default services that comes with Angular. And what Angular Cache is, is it's a, it's a drop-in replacement um, that adds additional local storage uh, capabilities and, in addition, some expiration capabilities so you can add timeouts and stuff to your cache. So working with Angular Cache was kind of just like the tip of the iceberg as far as working with data. I needed some simple caching. Um, beyond Angular Cache, I started Angular Data, which was actually inspired by Ember Data. I really liked how Ember Data had this goal of simplifying data management in the app for the user. Um, unfortunately for me, Ember Data seemed a little restrictive on what it supported. And so with Angular Data, I wanted to bring to Angular uh, the model layer that I thought was missing. And Angular Data, what it does is it has a core in-memory data store with which you can define resources that map to perhaps the resources you have on your back end. Um, maybe a resource maps to a particular table in your database. And then what the data store does is it uses adapters. And the adapters abstract away from the database or the data store the particulars of retrieving data from various persistence layers. So there is an adapter for HTTP. You can use that to hit your RESTful endpoints. There's local storage, local forage. And those are the only ones I had built with Angular Data originally. Now, Angular Data got it got posted to Hacker News before it was 1.0. And uh, someone on the, on the thread on Hacker News was like, why is this an Angular library? 
and I thought to myself, you know what, there isn't really a whole lot in this library that is Angular specific, so I ripped out about 95% of the code that was non-Angular and I created JS data. And JS data is framework agnostic. It's uh, just vanilla JS, and you can use it with any framework. Imagine switching from Ember to Angular or from Angular to React and being able to take your data layer with you. Now, I've written a whole bunch more adapters. So there are adapters for uh, Firebase, and, and since JS data runs on the server as well, I have written adapters for SQL-like databases, uh, RethinkDB, Redis, MongoDB, and um, so it's really kind of taking off as far as that goes. Now, with JS data, the data store, um, the in-memory data store is how you interact with your data using synchronous methods, and then asynchronous methods delegate to adapters. And since the data store, you just plug adapters into the data store, and you're using the same API to retrieve data, regardless of the data source that it's coming from, whether you're getting it from local forage, or whether you're pulling it from your RESTful server or Firebase. And so the data store creates a really easy, quick to set up data store uh, model layer, layer for your front end app. And it has a whole bunch of extra features like you can define custom instant instance methods on the data that gets put into the store. You can define relationships, and JS data will automatically link up your data together, your belongs to, has many relations, and things like that. Um, you can do computed properties, and it has model lifecycle hooks and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you should check it out. Awesome. Um, yeah, getting posted to Hacker News before you're quite ready with the library is um, a blessing and a curse, right? I was like, oh no, I better fix that bug. <laughs> yeah, that happened to the Ionic guys. We talked to them last week, and um, they're like, oh crap, we're not ready, but yeah, it, it works out anyway, right? Yeah. So that's cool. Um, Awesome library. Uh, I, I actually use it at work. Uh, I've used it on a couple projects, and I can attest that it's it's terrific. Um, yeah, love that. So, yeah, great. Uh, Olivia, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about OC Lazy Load? Yep. Uh, so um, about uh, one year ago, I started uh, to... I was working on, a, on an application uh, uh, that was getting really big at work, and um, we wanted to strip out everything that we didn't need right away so that it would load faster. And I was uh, trying to find a way to do that uh, with Angular and couldn't find any easy way to do it. Um, I searched for like two days, and there were a bunch of articles about uh, keeping a hang of the providers and stuff like that. But um, nothing was really simple. And then I found um, an article, I think, I don't know the, the name of the website, but it's uh, a big website in Russia. Uh, and the guy um, had a, a library uh, that was just a proof of concept uh, to lazy load stuff. And um, I wanted to use that, so I, tr I tried it, but there was no documentation. and. I finally managed to do something with it, and by the end of uh, the week, uh, I had changed <laughs> almost everything uh, except the core loading part, and I decided that uh, since there was nothing available uh, to do that, I could just uh, write my own library. So uh, I tried uh, to contact the guy, but uh, he didn't answer. So uh, I 
I set up a, a repo on GitHub so that I could uh, add this as a dependency for my project. And I set up, started working on it, and I, I wrote uh, an article on uh, a blog. Uh, and <laughs> in fact, it's the it's the only article on my blog. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it was a uh, it was cool because uh, it was a complex uh, complex. Uh, idea uh, and there were no no other libraries that could do that at the time, so uh, I started to post it on uh, Twitter and stuff like that, and people uh, responded well. They found it uh, easy to use, so uh, it was a good motivation to work on on this. And then I just kept working on it because. Uh, uh, it was useful, and I still use it uh, in made many of my projects. Um, so uh, the point, the the main goal of uh, this library is to um, uh, easily uh, let you load anything. So you can load Angular components, but you can also load um, uh, Bootstrap, for example, or stuff other libraries uh, that are not Angular specific, and then you can. Um, Use it to load the CSS, and I added also uh, the templates from Angular. Uh, and yeah, uh, you can use it to load it uh, in many different ways because um, uh, it's it's. I didn't want to force people to use it my way, and I found out by using it that uh, sometimes uh, uh, just uh, the simple. Uh, Calling the, the simple function wasn't enough, so I added a, a directive, and then I tried to make it work with the router and stuff like that. And um, so now you can pretty much uh, use it the way you want. <laughs> if you think that you should load it this way, it should work. And if it's not working, you should tell me, and I, I can make it work. Um, yeah. So the point is uh, making lazy loading easy. And so that you don't have to worry about it, just uh, just load your stuff and it should work like it should have worked with uh, Angular in the first place. Yeah. Cool. I uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you've got a cat in there. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um. So you you were also uh, or I guess your library was was fortunate to get uh, featured on Egghead by John Lundquist, uh, the man yeah. himself. Uh, so th that's pretty cool. How did how did that happen? Like how did um, did you tell him about it or like what no. uh, what happened? Uh, there? I think that um, uh, it really took off when uh, Angular uh, newsletter uh, wrote something about it. Um, I was monitoring the stats on GitHub because it was uh, a brand new feature on GitHub, and uh, I saw a big spike. Uh, like uh, uh, it was like I don't know, maybe 10 views a day, and suddenly 2,000 uh, one day. Oh, okay. so I, I, I tried to find out uh, what was the reason, and uh, someone on Twitter told me that it was in uh, in uh, Angular newsletter, and then. Many people discovered my library this way. I think it's it's how they found it. Uh, how John John Lindquist found it, uh, but I don't know. I should ask him one day. Uh, anyway, I saw a tweet. Uh, I was monitoring uh, keywords on Twitter with uh, my libraries. Uh, so I found a tweet uh, on Silly Zelo. I saw that it was uh, something on Hegged, 
I didn't know he cared at the time. Uh, I found out later that it was a, a really cool, uh, really cool website. Uh, and yeah, I I don't know. He just he didn't ask me. He just did the video, and I saw it. Uh, I I asked him if he could uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, give me an access to see it because it was uh, pro content only. And he gave me a free account on Hegged. No, I, d I have a free account for life, I think. <laughs> so that's cool. And um, yeah, the videos are, are really awesome. I've learned stuff about my lib uh, in this. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I think you learn a lot uh, by the way that other people use your library. Um, yes. So that's that's cool. I, I try to... Um, to read uh, as much as I can, I, I monitor the keywords on on Twitter and on Stack Overflow, uh, and I try to answer people when I can. Uh, maybe not immediately, but uh, within one or two days, if I can. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Um, okay. So I'll just quickly go uh, through my uh, library, uh, give a brief overview. So um, about a year and a half ago or so, uh, I Actually, I think it was just just about a year ago. I was um, um, doing moonlighting for a company that was uh, just a, a big CRUD app, like tons of, of forms throughout the entire application. And so I was like, I've got to come up with some way to to deal with all this HTML because I, I don't want to have to make directives for every single little thing. Um, and yeah, it just I, I wanted something that would make it consistent throughout the app. Uh, and so I searched around for a long time and um, fell upon Angular Formly, and um, at the time it, um, it uh, just supported Bootstrap, but that was okay because I um, that's what I was using. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so I, I just started using it, and then um, I needed to conditionally hide a field based on uh, the value of another field, and so um, I was, uh, I looked at the implementation. It was actually fairly uh, simple, surprisingly. And I, I figured out what would I need to do uh, to to add this feature. And I I, so I posted an issue and said, hey, is this something you're interested in? Uh, and if I made a pull request, would you accept it? They they were like, yeah, sure, that'd be awesome. So I submitted a pull request. We talked about it a little bit and got merged. Um, and then time went on, and I I needed another feature, and so we added. Uh, I, I made another pull request, and and after making a couple of pull requests. Um, the maintainer, his name's uh, Grant, um, and, and he he made it for his company Nimbly. Um, they were using it for one of their their clients, I think. And uh, they said, "Hey, you're making a lot of contributions, and as much as we love merging your pull requests, I think you know this library better than we do. Let's just make you a collaborator, and and you can do whatever." Um, and then that eventually resulted in me gaining uh, publish access on npm and. Uh, and so now it's it's basically my library, um, and it's it's very different from what it was at the time, um, in hopefully only good ways. But um, basically, that's uh, yeah, that's how I came to, uh, or yeah, that's how I came to own uh, the Angular Formly library. Um, is and it kind of I guess developed some popularity uh, just from me being excited about it on Twitter. Uh, I also uh, was on the Angular Air podcast about forms in general, and I uh, mentioned Angular formally, and I think that um, got it some recognition. And then I spoke at um, 
NGNL in the Netherlands, uh, the Angular conference there, um, about Angular formally, and um, also did a training at ngconf about Angular formally. So getting uh, getting myself out there, and also at meetups as well, um, is kind of how I guess this this library has taken off, and it's just been a, a ton of fun to work uh, work with. Um, I, yeah, developing open source is a blast. So yeah, that's a uh, yeah. Oh, and maybe just for some context, I guess. Um, Angular formally is uh, goes for a more uh, imperative approach, and so instead of uh, using a bunch of HTML and uh, repeating yourself all over the place, uh, you define a set of templates. So you say, hey, Angular formally, this is what an input looks like. And then um, in your JavaScript, you say, I want a field here, and I want it to be an input. And then uh, formally, we'll look up, OK, I know what an input looks like. You told me. And so I'll use that one. And then you specify what model it has and different things like that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's the idea behind Angular Formly. Um, so let's let's go ahead and uh, move on. Now, what, what we really want to try to accomplish with this episode, um, for you, the, the listener or viewer, is we want to inspire you, hopefully, uh, to, to take that idea that you've had and build it into something awesome that uh, can contribute to uh, the community as an open source library. And so, based on our experiences, um, we yeah just like to uh, yeah to give you that, that inspiration. So my first question uh, for all of us is what is and this is kind of a general question, uh, but what is it like to open or to maintain an open source library for free? Well, um, it's taking a lot of time. <laughs> um, the difficult part, I think, is to to be able to to have your life because um, uh, you work uh, so all day usually, and uh, then at night you work on your library and stuff. Uh, if you do if you do too much, you will burn out. I think so. You have to take some time for you. Um, I love coding. It's it's what I, I do for fun, but I also have uh, other stuff and uh, my wife and stuff like that. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, you have to you have to be able to um, to work and to and to uh, keep up on the issues and the pull requests and stuff. Uh, but you also have to to take some free time for yourself. What do you think, Jason? Um, working on open source projects, I think, all at the same time, it can be exhausting, very rewarding, uh, humbling, and frustrating. Um, it is open source, and it is your free time that's going into maintaining the project. So uh, the, re the rewarding part is when you've solved a problem and you've shared that solution with others, and it's, I think, very rewarding to see your solution helping other people. When you hear about someone using your library and you're like, wow, that's so cool that you're using my library. Like, I can't believe like someone thought it would be worth it. Like, that's so rewarding. Um, the frustrating part is, unfortunately, sometimes people um, maybe feel entitled to get more of your free time than you have to give. And so maybe that can be a little frustrating when they are perhaps uh, clogging up your issue track tracker, um, saying, you know, or demanding a feature, like, shame on you, how come you haven't implemented this yet? It's like, well, 
darn it, I, I spend my free time working on this, and uh, you're, you're welcome to help, you know, but... So it, it kind of goes back and forth uh, to between, you know, being rewarding and sometimes a little frustrating. Jason, am, am I that guy who's requiring more of your free time? <laughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes I might be that guy. <laughs> with be, taking you as an example, a lot of times before you even post uh, an issue, you yourself will have gone and looked at the source code and even already have suggestions on the changes that can be made. And I can say that that is very helpful. As someone who uh, you know, has written a lot of, I have probably 20 or 30 projects on GitHub, that when someone takes the time to actually do a little research before they post, um, that I think I'm very grateful when people do that. So I would recommend anybody do that. If you have an issue, do a little research. Maybe find a stack trace or come up with like a plunker or a JS fiddle that demonstrates the issue. It makes the life of the open source maintainer so much easier. Yes, please. Plunkers. Yeah, totally. I, I, yeah, I, I've actually, for, for my repo, I, I have a, a JS bin uh, template that people can clone. And, and um, it's all set up. All you need to do is just add and the pieces that you think are broken or or have are having difficulties with, and then like yeah that I totally agree that makes it super easy. And actually, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but I think it's Sindre Sorhus. Um, yeah, Olivia is not in his head. I, I think that's right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he um, he tweeted just like yesterday that uh, one of the best things that you can do uh, when submitting an issue is instead of submitting an issue, you submit a pull request that has a failing test. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that would be way, way cool. So, yeah, um, yeah it, I, I agree with you, Jason. I, I think, um, and Olivia, too, actually, like, this is your free time, and it, um, like, I love coding. I love, love, love coding. And so I, I really like having an excuse to uh, work on something, uh, especially when other people find it useful. So I, you almost feel like um, you try to, or I, I sometimes think, like, how many hours of time, uh, of developer's time, have I saved just because I spent a little bit of time um, working to make their lives easier? And, like, that, that is rewarding. Uh, that is, that's just way cool. And, and if you haven't had that opportunity, I suggest that you uh, find something that, um, that you've worked on uh, and solve like a problem that you've solved, and see how you can abstract away uh, your implementation details uh, and turn it into something that other people can use. Uh, and yeah, we will thank you for it. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, it's just so rewarding. Go do it. Just do it. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about um, dealing with. Uh, with issues that people find or, or um, uh, contributions, so issues and pull requests. Um, what are, what has your guys' experience been like uh, with those kinds of things? Um, I think one of the best things I did was when I made a really strong distinction between something that should go on the mailing list and something that should be an issue on GitHub. Um, because with the issues on GitHub, those are perhaps people found a bug in your in your in your library, or they have a feature request. That's a great place to put a GitHub issue. But when it's simply um, either they don't understand the documentation, or 
like I didn't do a good enough job on the documentation and so they just are misunderstanding like how they should do something or what's the best approach for solving a certain problem. Those are really questions that belong on the mailing list that the community can help answer those questions and perhaps something that gets posted on the mailing list is going to lead to a GitHub issue but for my peace of mind and being able to stay organized on you know which one is actually a bug and which one is actually just helping a guy understand how to use the library in a certain way um, keeping that distinction and that organization I think helps move the project forward and stay uh, it becomes clearer to consumers of the project what's going on with the project. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I should do that. Um, yeah, actually, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I, <laughs> I need to set up a mailing list. Like, Gitter is really, really awesome, but um, mailing list would be nice because people would get emails and stuff. Yeah, I use uh, GitHub labels to do that. I have uh, a lot of labels, uh, such as uh, questions, uh, I need to check, or bug, and stuff like that. And I try to, to keep it uh, up to date so that I uh, quickly find out and other can also quickly find out if something uh, should be addressed or if it's just a discussion. Yeah. So, Jason, do you have? Um, and actually, Olivier, that's that's kind of what I do right now as well. And I also have the the Gitter, um, which is also very helpful. But, uh, Jason, do you have people on your mailing list who are answering other people's questions and stuff? Like, do you have a community that is helping? Uh, yeah, sometimes they will answer each other's questions. I think maybe a mistake I've made is I answer questions too fast, so maybe I don't give anyone else an opportunity to answer. So I'm wondering if I should just maybe scale it back a little like, and give other people an opportunity to answer. The problem is I'm just I'm so paranoid that I maybe put out a piece, in, a piece of broken code that I just want to make sure it works, and so I just jump on things too fast. Um, uh, I, I use the GitHub labels as well. Um, there's also I try and make sure that the issues have a good status as to like where it is in the process of being worked on or being talked about or needs contribution. One thing that I found from the what is it Capistrano repository? That's a, like a it's a tool for deploying uh, like Ruby apps and things like that. The author and maintainer of Capistrano Capistrano got so popular that he was just absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of issues. So he does this thing where if someone submits, submits an issue on GitHub and the issue says something like, this thing doesn't work, period. And like that's the whole issue. It's like, how is that supposed to really help the maintainer? So what he does is he immediately closes the issue. And then in the comment where he closes the issue, he says, I'm going to close this issue because I'm not really sure that this is a bug. But if you, as the issue submitter, really think that this is a bug, here are some things you can provide when you reopen the issue. And he says, and this is what I do now, and I say, you know, it'd be great if you could provide me with, like, the versions of the library that you're using, maybe, like, some stack traces or logs that came out on the console, or maybe some of the code examples that led to the issue. Um, what would be even better than that would be an actual demonstration of the issue. Perhaps, uh, you know, like a failing test or a plunker or JS fiddle that shows the issue. But the absolute best thing you could do is submit a pull request that fixes the issue. <laughs> Do you have a, yeah. a contributing file? Contributing.md? Uh, I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Although sometimes I think people will submit issues without clicking on the little link, <laughs> like your, your contribution guidelines. But, um, but man, like, I, I still... Um, 
I, like, you, you know, Jason, you say that you, you like to just answer right away. Um, I, I feel the exact same way. Like, if I'm in the middle of something, or like, even, I, I hate to admit this, but sometimes uh, when I'm at home, um, you know, with my kids or something, and I get, like, an email or something, like, how do I do this thing? I'm just thinking, like, how can I wrap this up so that I can go, like, answer their question or whatever, or maybe I can just pause really quick and just respond, uh, just because I, um, I, I think there's a rush uh, when somebody's actually trying to use your library, and um, for some reason they're having, a, uh, having difficulty um, or they're just misunderstanding. It's just really, um, uh, you just want to help people uh, use your library cor correctly. Yeah, probably because um, we've all had those kind of issues where sometimes we don't know something and it just stops you in your development. And if the if some yeah if uh, the maintainers could answer quickly, it would help you a lot. But then they don't, and sometimes you get an email like one year later, and the guy say, "Oh, um, so the answer was that oh yeah, I've changed. I don't use your library." <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's why I try also to to answer uh, issues as fast as I can, uh, and people yeah people are usually um, uh, really impressed that uh, I can answer in like one minute after they posted it. <laughs> uh, but even if I don't have the time, I tell them uh, yeah that's probably a bug or something. I would take a look at it uh, like uh, tomorrow night. And they're happy with that because they know that uh, they don't have to search. Uh, they can keep searching, but um, they don't have to. They, someone will will help them on this, and they can move on and do other stuff, and maybe come back later. Yeah, totally. One thing that I uh, that I've done with uh, like triaging issues and stuff. Um, it it is really really helpful if people give like a JS bin or or something to to reproduce the issue, um, but if it's just like a question like how do I do this um, or something, or or even if, if it is like I think this is a bug um, and they haven't created a JS bin um, like I wish that they would, then I will go and create it and um, the website for Angular Formally is actually, there's, there's the main page, it's just a couple or a list of all the features and whatever like uh, overview of how to use the lib. Um, but the rest of it is just a bunch of JS bin examples, and so um, you can like filter through them, like how do I do this or whatever, and it'll show you an example. And that was like one of the best uh, decisions that I made for the library, um, because now somebody says how do I do this, I go and make an example, and then I add it uh, to that list of of examples on the website, and so um, future generations will be able to come back and and see um, how. Uh, we solved like the uh, complex grid layout, or um, the how to hide specific fields based on other conditions and different things like that. Um, yeah, I think it, live examples that people can play around with uh, is is super valuable. And yes. uh, I've I've closed many an issue about questions just by saying, "Here's an example. Let me know if this doesn't answer it for you." And um, yeah, most of the time it's just like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, I added a bunch of links uh, in my README, and it's on my to-do list to do a website uh, like that, <laughs> because uh, a, a library is just as good as um, the documentation that you provide. Uh, I 
when you when you search for for some feature and some library, you can solve your problem. Uh, usually, you open like uh, ten tabs, and then you you check uh, the, the the readme, and you see that uh, maybe there are two lines, and another project has uh, like uh, a full web page with a lot of uh, of uh, help, and you will choose this library because uh, you don't want to lose your time. Maybe the first one is really good, but yeah. You shouldn't have to read the, the source code to know what to do. Yeah, Jason's got the corner on the market with documentation. Um, I've probably tried 10 different documentation tools, just trying to find the right one that was the easiest to maintain, because writing documentation takes a lot of work. I mean, it takes almost as much work as writing the library itself. Um, so what I've finally settled on that I'm really enjoying for JS data is uh, readme.io. It's a service that they, they'll, let you, they'll give you a free account if you're doing open source projects. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And so um, for some of the smaller projects of mine, I'll just put all the documentation right in the readme. And then kind of like what with you were saying, Kent, um, if, some, if, I, if I hear a certain question maybe multiple times, I ask myself, OK, what is it in my documentation that was insufficient that has caused this question to be raised multiple times for multiple people? So then that's a, a point where you can go improve the documentation and, or add another example or a guide for this one thing because it turns out to be a common use case that people run into. Um, but I agree, a library is only as good as it, its documentation because um, you, when, when you put a library out there, it's going to be used by all kinds of developers, you know, people who have been programming for 20 years who could just read your source code and understand it immediately and then there are going to be new developers who are going to be trying to start their very first project ever and they want to be able to use your library and for for them they're going to need documentation to get them pointed in the right direction and so they can get rolling with their project so uh, I also would uh, I really appreciate when people make suggestions on improvements for documentation and uh, that's one then one place where readme.io shines is that when you're reading a a particular piece of documentation, you can make suggestions on the docs, um, which you can kind of do similar things with like wikis and docs like that. Um, yeah, documentation is tough. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Yeah, I, I need to jump onto that uh, readme.io boat. I actually emailed them and they said that they'd be happy to, uh, to give me a free account for the library. Um, but then I got stuck because they require a, a logo, and I don't have a logo for Angular Formly yet. Uh, there is an issue on GitHub. If you want to make a pull request, that would be sweet. Um, yeah, you tweeted about it. Also. Yeah. Still waiting for, for that. I'm not a designer. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so right now, documentation for Formly is just all in the readme, and, and like that that's a little tough, especially like when it comes to trying to maintain that and and everything. It, what's nice about that, though, is it's um, it's uh, versioned, and so like, uh, say you make a big breaking change, and and everything changes, whatever. People can still go back to the old one, and I think readme.io actually is versioned as well, right? It is, it is versioned. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, one other thing that I think, uh, as far as like helping people use your library, uh, one thing that I've done that I I think has been really useful is uh, I, like, I, I um, make warnings in the console or, or even throw errors when pe uh, people are doing things that uh, or using the library incorrectly. Um, 
and, and actually, Jason, I know JS Data does this because I use your library wrong all the time. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that's really valuable, and I uh, I, I think it's so valuable that um, I, I looked at at uh, React's uh, pop types, which are amazing, um, really, really well, or really good API for defining the API of your component. Um, and I uh, I took that and I created apicheck.js, which is another library that I uh, maintain. And formally, uh, Angular formally, it depends on this library. And basically, um, it's it's like React's prop types, but without React. And um, it, you kind of define the API to your function. So you say, hey, this function takes argument or takes um, options and the options object looks like this. It has to have these properties. It can't have any more. And these properties have these types and stuff. So when people call my functions, or if they use my directives, um, then they get a warning saying, hey, you put the label field, or you put a label property in here. You're not supposed to do that. Um, and, and so then and it'll even have a link uh, that they can click on. And it goes right into the repo um, in a, an errors and warnings.md uh, read. Uh, uh, markdown file um, that will explain, hey, if you're looking at this, this is probably why. Here's how you fix it. And I, um, once once I implemented stuff like that, I started getting far fewer issues on on GitHub. That was that was a huge help. Like, make your library um, teach your users how to use your library. Yep. Have you one of you tried Digini, uh, the documentation maker from Angular? D-Genie? I've never heard yeah. of that. Yeah, it's what they use to to create the documentation based on ng-doc, uh, the commands uh, in, their, in their source code. Um, I've used yeah. something similar. Uh, I used a project called Docular uh, for the yeah. original Angular data, and Docular was based on Angular's documentation generator. Mm-hmm. Um, I switched away from that because it was hardly being maintained at all or improved. Yeah, well, um, Digini is a project by um, uh, by the Google team, so it's maintained. But uh, uh, Pete uh, Pete Bacon Darwin is working on this, and um, uh, I think that they're trying to to make it more generic, because um, when you try to use it. Uh, uh, if you don't know how it works, it's really hard because um, they don't have a lot of documentation. Right. Um, well, no, they no, they are working on on this, so it's it's getting better. Every, uh, it's getting better, yeah. But um, yeah, uh, I will, uh, in fact, probably talk about that at uh, uh, Amsterdam GoToCon. Um, it's in my list of tools. Uh, it's really really powerful once once it's set up. And yeah, it's something that people don't know about, but uh, it's used by Ionic, uh, by Angular, by um, uh, a bunch of other big projects. Uh, maybe it's it's not it's not suited for a small library, but for big stuff like maybe Angular Translate and and stuff like that, uh, it's really useful. Yeah. Cool. We'll have to look into that. If you could shoot me a link, I'll put it into the show notes. Sure. Um, so one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, that I think would be really useful for people who are looking to start building a library um, is 
there are, are tons of build tools out there, and uh, none of them is the wrong answer. Um, but I, I'm curious uh, to know what you guys use uh, for building your libraries and deploying your libraries. Like, uh, do you use UMD, or are you just like CommonJS, or are you just global? Like, how, how do you deploy uh, your libraries? Um. Uh, with JS data, for example, the code base is so large that I've I've split it into quite a few different files, just so it makes it easier to understand the organization of the source code and where things are coming from. So that means it has to get built into a final distributable file. Um, I was using Browserify for a while, but the um, the UMD support wasn't working quite as well as I hoped it would. So I got introduced to Webpack, and so now I use Webpack to build. Uh, most of my libraries, and since I, I use uh, some of the some npm modules that get pulled into the library, it makes it very simple to consume those dependencies in my own project, and then it gets built up into that final file for me. Uh, the task runner I use is Grunt. I just use it because I haven't ever felt the need to switch. I'm sure Gulp or, bro or, or Broccoli, you know, can just do all the same stuff just as well. Um, one issue is uh, Webpack gave me great UMD support, so if someone wants to con consume JS data as a simple script tag that they load on their page, they can do that. It'll get put on the window. If they want to consume it with CommonJS or CommonJS2 or AMD, they can do that, and they can lo load it just fine. Uh, so that's what I use for the UMD is Webpack. Webpack is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, um, we talked about this uh, the other day, Kent, and you told me about Webpack as well. Uh, I'm actually uh, rewriting the whole library, and um, I've been I've switched to well, I I use a Gulp uh, task uh, to build my stuff, um, but I've added uh, a bunch of stuff now. Uh, Babel being one of them, uh, and well, it's it's all handmade. I usually have one good file that I copy paste between my projects, and I just change a, a few stuff, but not so much. And then I use um, yeah, I have custom custom tests that will uh, uh, release a new a new lib a new version. For example, I I just type uh, Gulp uh, release, and it will ask me if I want a minor uh, a patch minor or my uh, major. Uh, upgrade and it will generate the, the change log. It will uh, compile and build up the stuff, uh, do the test before, and then I just have to commit my stuff. <laughs> it's all already prepared. Well, that's pretty cool. So, how does it generate the change log? Is it based off of commits since the last release? Yeah, uh, wow. I, I use um, uh, something that's made by uh, I don't remember his name. Uh, some guy from Ionic who works on Angular material as well. Uh, um, Andrew? Yeah, Andrew. Thanks. Uh, yeah, he, he made um, a GitHub uh, project uh, for that. Uh, it's something that is based on uh, the Angular syntax. They have a, a doc somewhere in their in their documentation uh, that gives you how to write the commits. So you have to to give. Um, uh, the type of uh, of commits such as doc, fit for feature, fix for fix, and so on. And then you add um, uh, you add uh, the, the the your change log, and then you add your your message. And then um, 
using this library, it will uh, uh, get all the commits, the commits and uh, sort them by type and then by uh, by subtype because you can add subtypes, and it will just generate uh, uh, regular stuff with uh, features, uh, bug fixes, and breaking ch breaking changes, and it's uh, really cool. Oh, that sounds pretty awesome. I, I always admired the way that Angular um, does their, their stuff. Um, I didn't realize that was something that was open source that we could use. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really easy to use once once you you have the, um, the discipline to, to write your message, your commit message, uh, how they should be written. And in fact, they have a pre-commit hook that you can add to your project so that you can't commit if you if you don't write them as a message how it should be written. So uh, after that, it's really easy to, to use. <clears throat> cool. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I had a thought, and now it's gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so what, what kind of, uh, I, I think we're kind of winding down on our time, but I, I wanted to ask, what what tips could you would would you give to somebody like say here I am um, Joshmo here and I have this thing that I built at work and um, and it's working really well I've talked to my boss and he's like yeah sure we want a presence out in the open source community go ahead and, and make that open source what are some of the things that that you would suggest to me um, if this is my first ever open source library. Uh. Keep your ego in check. Um, uh, people will find bugs in your library. Uh, don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> in fact, it's a good thing. It's a, it it's will a help you. Yeah. Um, also, one thing that I think is a difficulty when you release an open source project is just keeping a hold of or keeping track of the scope of the project because people are going to come to your project and they're going to have a use case that is not immediately solvable by your project, but they think it's really close, and so a lot of times they'll suggest a feature. And so if if an open source maintainer were to merge every single feature request, it could potentially bloat the library and change the scope of the, pro what the, the, scope of the project that it originally had. So this, ch this is a challenge I frequently encounter with JS data because working with your data that you're pulling from your backend is everybody does it, and so there are a million use cases. So trying to solve the problem generally to tackle as many use cases as possible without going the, down the rabbit hole of a particular use case is, is, is quite difficult. So if you can, when you, when you release an, an open source project for the first time, I think I would recommend this to anybody. Make sure you have documented somewhere, maybe on the readme or in an issue that just stays open, like the driving philosophies and scope of the project and like the reasons that you're building the project and what goals you have and what kind of problems you want it to be able to solve. And that can be used as a guideline when trying to maintain scope because if every feature ever always got merged, all of the libraries would be hundreds and hundreds of kilobytes in size and do so many different things and become messy, unmaintainable beasts. So keeping track of scope, I think, by having like a mission statement for the project is, a, I think, something I would recommend to any person who wants to release an open source project. Yep, I agree. You need to have a, a vision of uh, uh, how it should uh, help and how it will become when you have the time to add all the other things that you want to add, but uh, 
you have to sometimes uh, say no. <laughs> you do yes. have to say no. Yeah. Sometimes. I'm sorry, but uh, one thing that you can do to help uh, have that is that you can make your stuff modular so that they can maybe uh, write or, or add uh, their own, own features easily. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do uh, right now when I'm rewriting my library because uh, I want others to be able to consume my uh, my functions but maybe add them in, in the bigger stuff. I don't know what they want to do. <laughs> and uh, they, they should be able to, to just hook up uh, into the process whenever they want and maybe overwrite a few stuff if, if they need. Uh, uh, I was just going to say, I, I think that's valuable, um, and, and I totally agree. You want to maintain scope, um, and then at the same time, and and it is difficult, but you want to make sure that like your your stuff isn't so general that it's not useful, uh, but then also that it's general enough to be useful to many people, uh, and it's just a really difficult balance. Um, but having making it um, or giving people the ability to override behaviors um, for like if that makes sense uh, for the context of, of your library, uh, I think it is very valuable. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and I one other tip I, I wanted to to give to anybody thinking about open sourcing a library is um, don't wait until the library is totally ready before you make your repo on GitHub. Uh, like that should be the first thing that you do. Um, and don't worry about naming your library. Um, I just re released a library called Moxie. It's a terrible name. Like, <laughs> I don't, and, and I'm working on another library called uh, uh, Modular Angular. That's also a terrible name. <coughs> Rename things. Like, it, that's that's not a problem. Don't don't get hung up on on naming. Um, don't get hung up on. Well, this isn't really ready. Um, and just release a 1.0 and say, hey, it's a work in pro progress. And then use Semver and oh, like I totally made the wrong assumption there. Now it's a two dot and and that's okay. And uh, just make it clearly documented. Hey, this is uh, a work in progress. I'm I'm still working on this. I hope you find it useful. And if people don't find it useful uh, right now, then that's fine. They'll find it useful later, or maybe not at all. But at, at least uh, like the the most useless project is the one that was never started. Uh, and so just like make make your project uh, release your thing. Um, and I, I've had projects where, like, I'll just make a GitHub repo and I'll, I'll start working on the project, but I won't actually uh, pollute the NPM um, or Bower namespace because I, I don't know if this is actually going to be a thing. Uh, and then I'll, I'll wait until, okay, yeah, this is a thing, and I'll, I'll put it on Bower and NPM so people can can install it. But like, it's okay if you, uh, if you it's okay if you wait on that because people can just npm install from uh, a GitHub repo anyway. Um, so, yeah, I would just say, like, uh, if you're thinking about it, just do it, um, and then you'll be inspired to, to make it a real thing, and it'll be helpful uh, to you. Yeah. Hey, Kent, uh, I wanted to point out that we have a question. <laughs> oh, nice. Sweet. Uh, before we get into the questions, did, um, we'll, we'll take a look at those in just a sec, but... Uh, um, does anybody have anything else? I, I think we are about done with our, our time. Um, does anybody have anything else that they'd like to add before we get yeah. into questions? I just, I just wanted to add that um, you have to think when you open source uh, a library, 
you have to think that um, it's a commitment and you have also uh, to decide who will be uh, the maintainer because um, if you just want to, I don't know, uh, you think you're, s uh, well, maybe it will, it will be the opposite of what you just said, but I think that if you just want to to give your stuff because it can help people, you can just make a gist. Uh, if you want to, to maintain something, uh, if you want to put it on GitHub, uh, you have to think that you will uh, need to keep it up to date. Uh, otherwise, you just you should write in the readme that uh, you want to maintain this project and they can fork it. I think. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I uh, that's that's also why I if I just start something, I'm like, yeah, maybe this will be useful. I I disagree with um, polluting the npm or var namespace. Um, I I don't think you should put something on there unless you feel like this could be useful to more people than just me. Um, but, uh, like, I, I think too many projects are never started because um, you just don't, like, you're worried that it's not going to be useful to anybody. But just put it up on GitHubs, and, um, and that will inspire you. And then if somebody finds it, uh, they will inspire you, and then you can put it up on, on NPM and, and make the consumability of your library easier. But... <laughs> Sweet. Okay, are we are we all done? Are we ready to get into the questions? Yep, I think so. Okay, sweet. So we do have one question, um, and it is by Ronald uh, from the Netherlands. Did I meet you, Ronald? Maybe I did. Maybe you. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to go go find you, but um, or tweet me. Okay. So his question is: In Angular two, are there uh, there are a lot of changes? How do you as a library author prepare for such fundamental changes? I'll go ahead and answer this one for myself really quick. Um, so for Angular formally, um, yeah, there are a ton of changes in Angular 2. And uh, Angular formally, the, the core library um, has just a couple of small directives. Um, and then the, uh, there are a couple of services and, and, and stuff as well. Um, and then we have template libraries that uh, are a lot more involved with the templates. So pretty much all of those template libraries are going to be, like, in large part rewritten um, to be able to support Angular 2, which is kind of a bummer, but um, I, I'm not too worried about it. The, the one thing that's nice about um, a library, though, is uh, the only person who needs to worry about uh, the migration of, like, for, for me, the only person that needs to worry about forms migration for Angular is me. And so anybody who uses um, Angular formally, hopefully, um, like, the changes in Angular 2 won't be so fundamental that um, I'll have to change my API um, very significantly. And if, if I don't have to change my API very significantly, and I've looked at it a little bit, I don't think I will, um, then the migration path for you with your forms, if you're using formally, will be very minimal. Um, and you'll just have to update your custom templates, likely. So that that's really nice. Uh, but what about you guys? What do you? How do you prepare for Angular 2? Well, <laughs> my case is easy because uh, my library solves the problem with Angular 1, and it will be totally useless in Angular 2. So. Yay. <laughs> Uh, I will write other stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is there like a, a use? Because my library actually will also likely be rendered pretty useless in Angular 2. Um, because uh, I've, I've talked with Victor a little bit about the new forms API, and, and they're they're going to have both a declarative and an imperative approach, uh, which is awesome. 
but the, the nice thing is that I can uh, kind of shield users from the upgrade path. Um, and so they, they can just keep using Formly and, and then upgrade to the, the new API when, whenever, um, like, after they upgrade to Angular 2. Is there any, like, are, are you thinking about doing some sort of um, helper for the upgrade path at all? Well, um, I don't know. No, I don't think it's... Uh, you would just use import or require stuff like that. You won't really need my lib, I think, so... Wow, bye that's bye awesome. Bye. <laughs> nice to be rendered useless. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. But um, uh, they're adding uh, stuff for lazy loading in Angular 1.5, so I will support that. Um, uh, I've discussed a lot about it uh, with um, uh, on, on GitHub. Uh, they have a, a, a thread uh, where you can add your ideas and. I'm happy to say that uh, they really listened to me <laughs> and they changed uh, some stuff uh, to make it easier for for uh, all libs, uh, mine and uh, uh, Gitsky, if you don't know, if you know him, he has a library for lazy learning stuff as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, you have to involve yourself in the discussions. Uh, the Google team is really open and you can you can make your suggestions they will listen. So that's one way to prepare for a change, is to make the change be as you wish it could it could be. And then you just have to change your lib, maybe uh, to to take the, these changes into account. But um, uh, yeah, they, they try to keep the, the compatibility uh, as much as possible. So it's usually not a problem. What about you, Jason? For you, it's a little different, right? It is different. Um, JS data itself doesn't have to worry about a migration whatsoever because it's not an Angular library. Um, there is JS data Angular, which is a wrapper around JS data, which plugs it into certain things like the promise service in Angular and Angular's HTTP service and uh, like the, the digest cycle and things like that. So. Um, Angular, JS Data Angular, I'll have, I will have to look at migrating for that, but I think I'm echoing, I think it was Brad Green in last year's ng-comp, he said, so you want to write an Angular library, uh, for most cases, the answer is don't do it, because you can write the library without it being tied to Angular, without it being um, so coupled to Angular's like module system, for example, that no one else can use it except Angular people. So, um, with Angular 2.0 moving a lot closer, I mean, it's written in ES6, and it's using, like, the, the new module system that is being agreed upon by the community. Um, I would say if you want to make your library access accessible to as many people as possible and to prepare for changes coming in Angular 2.0, write your library in ES6 and make it a, a more framework-agnostic library that is also compatible with Angular. Uh, to for some things like Angular Formly, it's only about dealing with forms in Angular. So obviously that's an Angular library. But just before you you know maybe write a library, just take into consideration like is this something that is only useful to someone who's writing in Angular, or is this something that I can solve for anybody using any framework? And then you know perhaps to make it work better with Angular, I could just add like a simple little wrapper for Angular that like registers it with the dependency injector or something like that. Or maybe that's so simple that I'll just let people do it themselves. And so, I mean, you'll see, you can find lots of libraries like that where uh, 
you can just use a third-party library that isn't has nothing to do with Angular, and you can integrate it with your Angular app without much deal. So, like JS Data is now written in ES6. It uses UMD, so it's consumable by many module loaders, and uh, I will have minimal work when it comes time to make sure I support Angular too. And I think that's uh, by virtue of me making a framework agnostic library as opposed to an Angular specific library. Um, one added benefit of making a framework ag agnostic library is that the pool of contributors that is available to you is much larger because there are a lot of people in the world who don't use Angular. They use Ember or React or Knockout or, ba or Backbone and if they can use your library as well you're gonna have a lot a much larger pool of people who can help you make your library as best as it can be and then if you need to worry about making it compatible with Angular you can do that as an extra thing on top of your framework agnostic library. Uh, wise words, yeah, that's awesome. Um, actually, uh, so um, there are several form generators for Angular apps. Um, mine is only one of, of the many that are are, um, are quite popular. And um, one guy, uh, one author of one of these um, form generators, got all of us together uh, to stop working on the same thing in different places and try to get us to work together. And that has amounted to a vanilla JS forms solution uh, that is currently being worked on uh, by several of us. One of us in particular, that one of us is not me. But uh, it's called Forms.js. You can it's on GitHub. You can go take a look at it. Um, Brian Vaughn has done like an insane amount of work on it already. It's it's way cool. So uh, and then uh, following that that same pattern uh, as JS Data, just having adapters for the different uh, libraries. I think that's a very Smart way to go about things for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, and uh, yeah. So I yeah, here here. <laughs> so all right. Any other uh, any other questions or anything uh, you guys would like to say before we ask our final question? Uh, yeah, I have a, a special request. Um, I didn't warn you about so. You don't have to do it if you don't want. I'm really curious, and uh, I'd like to see uh, your workplace, or maybe just turn the webcam in your room. Yeah, sure. And see I can how it show is. You really quick. So this is. Oh, whoops. Yeah, this is. Uh, well, yeah. There's not much interesting over there. <laughs> is our whoa, our uh, uh, kitchen and stuff, stock full of food and whatever. Uh, we've got our support guys who are back over there, but I. Yeah, I can't really show you. Um, I, and I'm not going to take the mic around with me to, to the whole office, but it's a great place to work. And actually, I'm glad that you mentioned that because we are hiring um, a UI developer. I'm the only um, I'm the only UI developer here at Alianza, um, and it's awesome. And we're using the latest and greatest. We're on the latest Angular, um, latest stable version of Angular, and the, uh, we're using Webpack and ES6 and all this uh, greatness. Um, and so, yeah, if you're interested in working with me, I would love to talk to you, so please uh, tweet me or something, because um, we're looking for somebody right now. So, In the spirit of shout-outs, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to my company where I work. I work at Lendio, uh, that's L-E-N-D-I-O, um, we're a marketplace for small business loans. It just got announced today that we just closed a round of funding of $20.5 million. Congratulations. Uh, we are <laughs> growing really fast. Um, we use a lot of the latest technologies. We have a node stack. Um, we just rewrote one of our stacks in ES6. Um, we're going to be using like Webpack to lazy load, 
the SAS files and the images and the templates and all that stuff. So we really like to work on the cutting edge. We have a great dev team. And if any of you out there are a small business and you're looking for loans, uh, come find us because that's what we specialize in. In, in which country? USA? United States. Yeah, okay. Okay, so I feel entitled to, to talk about my company as well. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> I work, uh, I just started uh, in a small startup uh, that's named Olimetrics, and um, we do TV analytics. So we measure stuff on TV, and then um, uh, we measure things on uh, your website, and we can tell you if you, um, your ads uh, on TV uh, really have an impact on your on your website, and uh, a lot of other stuff, uh, complicated stuff. But uh, we can tell you if your ads are really useful or if you if they are not, and which channels you should uh, you should use uh, for your target. So yeah, we are a small startup, and we are looking for uh, talented developers as well. So it's in Lyon, uh, in France. Uh, if there is uh, anybody there. <laughs> looking for a job um, and who's good, uh, tell me about it. Cool. I'm, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because I've been meaning to get everybody to, to plug their company for just a little bit on the show, so that's good. Sweet. Okay, so we have one final question, then the show's over, um, unless you have any other comments. Uh, and the question is, and this is for everybody, what tip would you give a brand new developer? So, Jason, why don't you go ahead and start us off? <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> um, when it comes to programming, there is an absolute universe of knowledge out there. Um, if you wanted to be good at everything, you could never do it in a lifetime. So don't be too daunted by the task of learning new languages or frameworks or understanding programming principles, because there is a lot to learn. And uh, maybe some people forget what it was like to be a new developer, and so maybe they're not as friendly to newer developers who are just learning. But uh, I would say don't give up, because if you're programming at all, it's probably because you, you like to solve problems, and you're creative that way. And if it's something you like to do, you should pursue it no matter what. Good answer. Olivier? <laughs> um, I would say just uh, there. Um, don't hesitate. Uh, if you want to do something, do it. Maybe someone else uh, did it uh, as well, but um, you can always um, make your own imp implementation. And you shouldn't uh, be afraid to ask, uh, usually uh, in, uh, in Angular, but uh, in, uh, in the web. Uh, people are really open, and they like to chat. You can use Twitter. You can send mails. Uh, don't hesitate. Uh, just ask questions. That's how you will uh, you will become better. Uh, maybe you think that your question is dumb, but uh, uh, like uh, ten thousand people will search it on Google later and find your your question on Stack Overflow. It will help them. So yeah, if you if you don't know something, just ask, and a lot of people will help you. Awesome. Uh, my tip is. Um, sign, if you're doing front-end dev specifically, um, sign up for uh, the JavaScript weekly, HTML weekly, uh, newsletters. Those are um, really good sources of information, curated lists of, of some of the cool things that are going on. Um, I think it's valuable to stay up 
uh, with some of the things that are going on in this industry. Um, so yeah, I would recommend um, as a tip uh, for a new developer or or any developer really, if you're not subscribed to uh, to those newsletters, as well as NG newsletter, if you're an Angular uh, person, uh, find. Uh, maybe more generally, just find a newsletter. Uh, somebody who's who's creating a curated curated list um, of things that I think that can be very valuable. Kind of um, give you interesting things to look at and, and play around with. So, all right, guys, uh, I think we're wrapped up here. Do you have any last words uh, for our viewers? Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you, and <laughs> please submit PLs on uh, issues and stuff. <laughs> Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I think that wraps us up, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye.